0: which usually take the form of omnibus bills numbering in hundreds if not thousands of pages and utterly clueless about the effects these laws have on their lives. Of course, that's the point. The public is not to be informed but indoctrinated, manipulated, and misled. Congress also and often delegates unconstitutionally lawmaking power to a gigantic yet ever-growing administrative state that in turn unleashes on society myriad regulations and rules at such a rapid rate that people cannot possibly know of them either. And if by chance they do, they cannot possibly comprehend them. Nonetheless, ignorance, which is widespread and deliberately so, is no excuse for noncompliance, for which the citizen is heavily fined and severely punished. Not to be outdone, the current occupant of the Oval Office sees his primary duty as fundamentally transforming the United States of America. By this, of course, President Barack Obama did not mean a fresh allegiance to the nation's founding principles and a new respect for the Constitution's limits on federal authority, but the converse. He is more blatant and aggressive than his 20th century predecessors, but faithfully follows the footsteps of the most transgressive among them. The metamorphosis of the executive branch into an immense institution, exercising a conglomeration of powers, including lawmaking and decreeing, is clearly without constitutional origin, a quaint notion mostly derided these days. Having delegated broad lawmaking power to executive branch departments and agencies of its own creation, contravening the separation of powers doctrine, Congress now watches as the President inflates the Congressional delegations even further and proclaims repeatedly the authority to rule by executive fiat in defiance of, or over the top of, the same Congress that sanctioned a domineering executive branch in the first place. Notwithstanding Congress's delinquency, but because of it, an unquenched President Obama, in a hurry to expedite a societal makeover, has repeatedly admonished Congress that if it won't act soon to protect future generations, I will. That is, if Congress will not genuflect to his demands, pass laws to his liking, he will act on his own. And the President has made good on his refrain. On a growing list of matters, he has, in fact, displayed an impressive aptitude for imperial rule. With the help of a phalanx of policy czars, from immigration, the environment and labor law, to health care, welfare, and energy, the president has exercised his executive discretion to create new law, abrogate existing law, and generally contrive ways to exploit legal ambiguities as a means to his ends. He has also declared the Senate in recess when it was not, thereby bypassing the Senate's constitutional advice and consent role to install several partisans in top federal posts. Today, this is glorified and glamorized as compassionate progressivism. The framers called it despotism. In Federalist 48, James Madison, considered the father of the Constitution, wrote, An elective despotism was not the government we fought for, but one which should not only be founded on free principles but in which the powers of government should be so divided and balanced among several bodies of magistracy as that no one could transcend their legal limits without being effectually checked and restrained by the others. The third branch of the federal triarchy, the judiciary, is no better. Among the biggest myths is that the men and women of the judiciary operating under monk-like conditions would dutifully and faithfully focus their undivided mental faculties toward preserving the Constitution. They would apply their expertise, experience, and insight free from the political pressures and biases of elections in the legislative and executive branches of government and within a narrow scope of authority and purpose. Moreover, it was assumed there was little to fear from this part of government. In Federalist 78, Alexander Hamilton explained, Whoever attentively considers the different departments of power must perceive that in a government in which they are separated from each other, the judiciary from the nature of its functions, will always be the least dangerous to the political rights of the Constitution, because it will be least in a capacity to annoy or injure them. Yet having seized for itself in the early years of the nation the final word on all matters before it, the Supreme Court, with just five of its nine members, can impose the most far-reaching and breathtaking rulings on the whole of society, for which there is no effective recourse. turns out that the justices are also God's children. And being of this world, their makeup consists of actual flesh and blood. They are no more noble or virtuous than the rest of us, and in some cases less so, as they suffer from the usual human imperfections and frailties. The court's history proves...